way, I think we ought to thank Lenora for the main course. Yes, Lenora. Thank you. Thank you for the way she takes care of us. And yes, out. she does. Fabulous. She is and fabulous. Everybody that brought uh, pineapple upside down. No. <laughs> everybody that brought anything, thank you so much. <laughs> fabulous, fabulous meal. That was really it's good. It's like when Steve gets up every Sunday morning and says, you know, we have a fabulous feed and we'll feed you and then come for Bible study, we'll feed you again. This has been a <coughs> fabulous one. Yeah, it was a great dinner, wasn't it? So far, yeah. Uh, well, since you're all kind of here, um, next Wednesday I'm going to give you the week off, okay? So we're not going to have Bible study next Wednesday night. Oh, you're going to go to the coast, huh? Boy, you've already got plans. That was quick. Wow. I'm going to the coast. <laughs> That's awesome. So no, no Wednesday night Bible study next week, and we'll hit it again um, the week after that, okay? Uh, I'm going to go see my grandkids and, and daughter. My daughter's having a birthday, uh, April 6th, so I'm going to go down and visit with her. Yeah. Um, what's that? Yes. Yeah, it was 95 degrees there uh, yesterday or the day before. So, needless to say, I'll be wearing my shorts and. Well, I won't. I don't wear tank tops, but anyway, <laughs> shorts for sure. Well, let's pray. Whoa. That's okay. That's okay. So, Father in heaven, we come before you just thanking you for who you are. You are the Lord. You are the, the sovereign God of the universe, the supreme God, and we give you glory for that. And we thank you for Jesus Christ, your son. You sacrificed your word, which was a part of you, to be, to be in Jesus Christ the God-man. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for your precious life, your horrific death, your resurrection, ascension, and your intercession for each one of us. Help us to call on your name more often, Father. Lord, we want to pray that uh, you will please bless this study we have in your word, Lord. We're, we're trying to understand uh, the mysteries that you have surrounding these prophecies, which are many are coming true right before our eyes. Father in heaven, we want to uh, pray for wisdom and discretion, understanding and knowledge, as well as insight into your word, Lord. We claim the blessing that comes from reading, uh, studying and hearing and doing the things that are contained in your book of Revelation. Father, we do want to pray for our country we ask that, Lord God, you'd convict us in this country to all of us to uh, follow you, to pray to you, to believe in you. We pray for all of the elected officials, Lord, that, Father, you would um, please convict them to follow your principles. Take those who don't follow your principles, Lord, out of office and out of positions of power, we pray. Lord, we want to pray for our servicemen and women that you'd bring them home safely, that you'd give them safety wherever they're at, and that you'd give them Christian fellowship, Lord. 
Father, we want to pray and hold up these folks that are in the Ukraine that are fighting for their lives, Father, and uh, we ask that you'll please help them to find you. We pray that you'll convict the hearts of the Russian soldiers uh, that they're doing the wrong thing, Lord, by attacking these civilians, and that, Lord, you'd help them to be saved. And, Father, we hold up your Christian people around the world, Lord, and we pray that you'd bless us, Lord, with the conviction of our sins, that, Father, you'd help uh, us with our spiritual, mental, and physical health, that you'd help those who are hungry and poor, that are homeless, that are living through some type of disaster or in a country where they cannot worship you openly. Help your Christians who are losing hope, Lord. Show them that there is hope in you. And Father, we pray for your pastors and teachers, Lord, your born-again ones, that you convict them to study and teach and, and uh, lead people in your word. Father, we pray for your Jewish people around the world, as well as the nation of Israel, that, Father, you would show them that Jesus Christ is their Savior, as well as the Savior of the world, and that he's coming back. Lord, we pray for the unbelievers, first of all, for those that are searching for truth. Lord, you have promised in your word that those who search for truth will find it. And we pray that you'll help those folks to find it. For those who are not searching for truth, Lord, or are in fact uh, hiding truth or, or somehow um, misguiding people, Father, we just pray that the conviction of your Holy Spirit will reach their hearts and that the gospel will be declared to them very clearly. And the Lord, you'd give them the maximum opportunity to, to hear you and accept you, Father. Lord God in heaven, we pray for all of the church services that are being held uh, today around the world. That, Father, you'd bless them if they're speaking truth by means of your spirit. We pray that you'll bless us, Lord. I'm just going to take just a minute of silent prayer, Lord, so that we can just visit with you in our own minds. Lord God, thank you. Thank you for everything. We pray that you'll give us wisdom, discretion, understanding, and knowledge as we study these wonderful uh, prophecies and that you'll help us to incorporate them into our lives. We'll give you the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, my friends, you, had a, you have, should have a handout uh, on the one side of the handout is my writing. You can certainly tell that. And I will go over this with you tonight. We're going to get through this, I hope and hope. Um, and what I've done here is, I'm telling you, I went into quite the study. Started it last week on heads, crowns, and horns. Remember I promised you I would? And I did. And so I, I really honestly think I've... I, I've got a, good, a pretty good handle on it, at least until I try to teach it, and then we'll find out. Uh, I might not at that point. But then on the other side, I want you to notice here there is a, um, a comparison between Christ and the Antichrist. And so let's go right now 
to Revelation chapter 13. Just keep your hand out because we're going to be coming right back to it. Uh, let's go to Revelation chapter 13, starting in verse 1. And let's re read this uh, real quick and just get some basics of where we want to go. It says in 13.1, it says, The dragon stood on the shore of the sea. Now, first of all, we know who the dragon is because in Revelation 12, 7, it says, or 12, 9, excuse me, the great dragon was hurled down that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan. So that's who the dragon is. And I saw a beast coming out of the sea. So the sea here, all right, uh, and, and I'm not sure exactly where it is, but it, we'll find it. It's in, it's in Revelation where it talks about the sea represents a multitude of peoples, okay? Gentile peoples. So the sea is talking about Gentile nations and Gentile peoples. You see, right now, we are still in the times of the Gentiles, okay? And I will do a study on that for you so you can understand exactly what that is. Basically, what it means is this, is that the Gentile uh, kingdoms are still ruling the world, all right? And we studied last week in Daniel chapter 7 about the four kingdoms that had a direct influence on the nation of Israel. There was Babylon, who was the lion. There was the Medes and Persians, which was the bear. There was the leopard, which was Alex, uh, Alexander the Greek's empire, the Grecians. And then there was the fourth beast, which wasn't, um, it wasn't fashioned after an animal, just said it was terrifying had large iron teeth, and, and it devoured everything in its path, path et cetera, et cetera. And so uh, Daniel was prophesying about the, the empire of Rome at that point in time, okay? And we're going to get into all of those. I'm not going to, unless we have time, I'm not going to get into the Christ versus the Antichrist tonight because this is something that you can do on your own. Just go home and look up, if you want to, look up the different uh, scriptures. It is very interesting because if you'll flip it on the other side, the one I printed on, the scripture above in the left-hand corner, it's 1 Corinthians chapter, that doesn't sound right, I think it's 2 Corinthians. Is it 2? Okay, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, verses 13 to 14, and this is just a paraphrase here. Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. In fact, I'm going to read that to you because um, it really pertains to what we're going to be studying tonight. Listen to what Paul says. So, the church at Corinth was experiencing these teachers that were coming in that were false teachers, all right? And they were... Uh, demeaning Paul's ministry, saying, oh, that little squirt, you know, I mean, he's really not an apostle. We're super apostles. And so he says this in verse 13, he says, for such men are false apostles. 
deceitful, so they're deceivers. Workmen, deceitful workmen. They work at deceiving, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising then if his servants masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. Um, what their end will be uh, is going to be the lake of fire is what their eventual end is going to be. So let me go over this page where I've printed here, okay? So you'll notice this first category above that first line that goes across the, the paper is heads. And we'll start in Revelation 17. I went into the Greek and looked up the Greek words, etc. Then the next uh, category down is crowns. And we'll take a look at that. Then the next one is horns. And then you'll notice down below that I put the great red dragon, Revelation 12, 3, Satan. It says that he has seven heads, ten horns, and ten and um, seven crowns on his seven heads. We'll go into that. And then down at the bottom there, this beast that we're, we just uh, finished um, quoting out of Revelation chapter 13, verse 1, is, is really a composite beast, okay? And it's a composite beast, first of all, we know for a fact of the four kingdoms, Babylon, uh, Persia, Greece, and Rome. So go back here to Revelation chapter 13, verse 1. Now, I want you to keep this too because this will come in handy for you in the future. Besides that, I got a lot of hours into it, so otherwise I'm going to have to charge you for it if, I, if you don't keep it, okay? Okay, so verse 1 of Revelation 13, it says, On the dragon stood on the shore of the sea. Now, I wish I knew exactly where that, um, that verse was where it talked about uh, the sea is peoples, but let me see if I can find it over here real quick. Hmm. Hmm. Okay, I just don't see it quick. Um, oh, okay, in Revelation seventeen fifteen, you can go there if you want to. It says, the angel said to me, the waters you saw where the prostitute sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and languages. Okay, so that's, what's that? Uh, Revelation 17, verse 15, 17, 15. So the waters you saw are multitudes and peoples, nations, and languages. So back to 13, 1. So this dragon stood on the shore of the sea. So the sea here is representing the multitude of peoples, okay? Now, it says here, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. So this beast, this kingdom, this king is going to come out of a Gentile nation. He had ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns on his horns, and on each head 
a blasphemous name. Now here's your composite, or at least part of it. Verse 2. The beast I saw resembled a leopard. Okay, what kingdom represented the leopard? Greece, exactly. But had feet like those of a bear. Where are we at on that one? Persia. And a mouth like that of a lion. Babylon. Okay, Babylon. So, we, and we'll refer back to Daniel chapter 7 in just a few minutes to, to just look at that again. It says, but in verse 2, the beast I, re, I saw I resembled, okay, resembled a leopard, but he had feet like those of a bear, uh, certainly not like feet of a leopard, and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. All right, so we can uh, skip down here to verse... Five, the beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise his authority for 42 months. 42 months is three and a half years, yes? Okay, so this will be the last or the second part of the tribulation. The last part of the, the tribulation is the three and a half years. It's called the great tribulation. Now it says here, he opened his mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. So this guy is like, I'm just going to go for the full Monty here, okay? I'm going to blaspheme God and everything associated with him. He was given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them. And he was given authority, listen... He was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nations. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the book of life, belonging to the Lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. So we stop there, and so we've got a little, little taste of what the beast is going to be. Now remember something. In the... Old language, there was not a separate word. There was not a separate word for king and kingdom. The one word described a king, and the one same word described a kingdom. So we're going to see that we're going to be looking at a king, which is called the beast, and his kingdom, which is a beastly kingdom. Do you remember when we studied in Daniel chapter seven last week? Uh, in fact, just go ahead and turn there real quick. Daniel chapter 7. We'll just do a real quick review on that. Tell me when you get there. So just Jeremiah and then Ezekiel and then Daniel. If you want to look really smart, just go to the front and to find out what page it's on. <laughs> Daniel 7, and I'm going to be in verse 2. Well, in fact, let's just start in verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, this is very interesting because Daniel dates his prophecies. All of his prophecies are dated, so we can actually figure out what year he had this prophecy, and in this case, it was 
553 B.C. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions pass through his mind as he was laying on his bed. He wrote down the substance of his dream. Now, I want you to think about when we talk about beasts here, we're talking about kingdoms, okay, kingdoms. Verse 2, Daniel said, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. Okay? All right, what's the, what's the sea represent? Nations, peoples, etc. Multitudes. The first, okay, the first great beast was like a lion, and it had the wings of an eagle. I watched until the wings were tore off, and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a man, and the heart of a man was given to it. This is the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar went insane for seven years, and when God raised him up out of his insanity, he, he did that because he came, actually came to the Lord and was a believer in God. And you can read about that. I believe it's in Daniel chapter 4. Yeah, don't quote me on that one, though. Um, so in verse 5, and there before me was a second beast which looked like a bear. Think about this. This is Daniel dreaming this, okay? He's dreaming this. This had to be kind of terrifying, really. Before me, and be there before me was a second beast which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides. And it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. So the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians were the ones that conquered the kingdom of Babylon. Right? And you can read about that, in fact, in Daniel. Let me see. Hmm. <laughs> Well, you can read about it in Daniel. How's that sound? <laughs> it's, it's really awesome what, what Daniel did uh, in, his, in this whole book. When we get finished with the book of Revelation, we may go ahead and study the book of Daniel because it's really interesting. Okay? So, the second kingdom, which looked like a bear, which was a little more powerful on one of its sides... Uh, because the Persians, the Persian Empire was more powerful than the Median Empire. And it had three ribs in its mouth, which uh, it conquered three different nations. And I'm trying to see if I've got that here. Uh, Egypt, Assyria, and Babylon, is that what you just said? No. Uh, that's what your says. Well, it's... It's Assyria, and I don't know if that was a, um, I don't know if uh, Lydia was another name for Assyria or not. But um, then in chapter 6, after that I looked, and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard. And on its back it had four wings like those of a bird, so it was very swift. The beast, this beast had four heads, and it was given authority to rule. When we're going to see in Daniel chapter 8 that the horn that grew out of the, leper, or out of the leopard's head 
uh, symbolized Alexander the Great. And when he died, he uh, his kingdom was divided between his four generals, his four most powerful generals. So this was a prophecy right here because this hadn't happened yet. It says this beast had four heads and it was given authority to rule. And you can, you can go to... You don't have to go to it right now, but you can go to chapter 8, verses 21 and 22. In fact, let's see what it says. 8, 21 and 22. Here's what it says. The, let's see. Verse 19, so I'm in 8, 19. This is an angel speaking. He said, I'm going to tell you what will happen later in the time of wrath because the vision concerns the appointed time of the end. So this is another vision, okay, that Daniel had. He says, The two-horned ram that you saw represents the kings of Media and Persia. The shaggy goat is the king of Greece, and the large horn between his eyes is, is, is the first king. That's Alexander the Great. The four horns that replaced the one that was broken off because Alexander died, represent four kingdoms that will emerge from his nation but will not have the same power. Now, just as a side note, there have been a lot of commentators through the years that have said Daniel couldn't have written this. This had to be written by somebody else because his prophecies were so exact that they said, there's no way. There's no way. Somebody wrote this after this happened and said it was from Daniel. But no, God gave Daniel these prophecies well, several, several hundred years before they came true, and they were true to the down to the gnat's eyebrow, which is pretty awesome. Now, so uh, back to Daniel 7, verse 7. After that, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast. So this is a fourth kingdom. This is the kingdom of the Romans. Terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth that crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts, and it had ten horns. This is the same beast kingdom that we saw in Revelation chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, okay? Now, look, look what he says here. While I was thinking about the horns, the ten horns, there before me was another horn. So now we got 11. A little one which came up among them, and three of the first Ten horns were uprooted before it. So it left seven horns plus this little horn. This little horn is the Antichrist. Okay? This is the Antichrist. And what's going to happen is in this kingdom, which will start out with ten kings, three of the Antichrist will come and three of them will be uprooted. Now think about this for just a minute, okay? Because we have a perfect example of what's going on right now. If you look at Vladimir Putin in Russia, all right, think of him as a kingdom and a king. 
he's going into Ukraine. They already have a king. Uh, the president, I forget what the president's name is. Zelensky? Zelensky. Okay. So if they were to win that war and depose Zelensky, then that would become a part now of the Russian kingdom. Are you with me? Just like they did in Georgia a while back. Not our Georgia, but Georgia and Russia. And like they did in Crimea in 2014. So you see, Russia then, we could look at that and we could say Russia, we have one, two, three, four kings. We have Russia, we have Ukraine, we have Georgia, and we have Crimea, yes. So now, right now, the one king, Russia, has already displaced two of the other kings, Georgia and Crimea, and he's really trying to replace um, the Ukraine. So do you, see, do you see what I mean? That's the example I'm giving you on how the one horn could uproot the other three, okay? When we look at it, we think, oh, what's he talking about? That's kind of what he's talking about there. Okay, so now we go to the interpretation in verse 15 of Daniel chapter 7. He says, I, Daniel, was troubled in spirit, and the visions that passed through my mind disturbed me. I approached one of those standing there, this would be one of the angels, and asked him the true meaning of all this. So he told me and gave me the interpretation of these things. Here's the interpretation. The four great beasts are four kingdoms that will rise from the earth. Okay? But the saints of the Most High will receive the kingdom. This is the kingdom of Jesus Christ. This is the millennial kingdom that will come in and replace all of the other kingdoms of the world. Um, but the saints of the Most High... Do you see how the Bible skips around? I mean, you know, so if, if, if you're not real... I mean, studying it, you're like, wait a minute, what just happened? You know, we had just had thousands of years passed and I, I missed it all, <laughs> right? So it says here, um, the saints of the Most High will receive the, the kingdom and will possess it forever, yes, forever and ever. That's the millennial kingdom. Then, uh, Daniel says, verse 19, I wanted to know the true meaning of the fourth beast. So he's not as concerned with the first, second, and third beast. He wants to know this, this beast which was different from all the former beasts, and it had ten horns. He says, and it was different from all the others and most terrifying with its iron teeth and bronze claws, the beast that crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. I also wanted to know about the ten horns. On its head and about the other horn that came up before which three of them fell, the horn that looked more imposing than the others and that had eyes and a mouth that spoke boastfully. So this goes right along with Revelation chapter 13 where we just got finished reading that he boasted against God and he boasted against the inhabitants of heaven and he boasted against heaven himself. He, he blasphemed them. He has a big mouth. 
It says here in verse 21, as I watched this horn, okay, this is the small horn out of verse um, 8, the little one which came up among them. This is the small horn that grew up to be uh, more powerful than the other horns, okay? It says here in verse um, 20, about in half the verse, it says the horn that looked more imposing than the others and that had eyes and a mouth that spoke boastfully. That would be the Antichrist. As I watched, this horn was waging war against the saints and defeating them. What did we read in Revelation chapter 13? Same thing, right? You guys do remember what we read 10 minutes ago. You better. Okay. Whew. Now, verse 22. Until the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the saints of the Most High, and the time came when they possessed the kingdom. You know, one of the things that we need to remember, that's kind of hard to remember, because we're going to be going through Revelation 15. We've already been through Revelation 6. We've already been through the seals. We've been through the trumpet judgments, right? They were terrible. They're, they're, they're just a precursor to the bowl judgments, which we're going to come up uh, soon. We've got to remember something, that through all of this terrible stuff that's going to happen on the face of the earth. Now remember something. We've got to tie this in with Second Thessalonians chapter 2. When the uh, one who holds back evil is taken up, then what happens? Evil really prospers at that point. So as the church is taken up and as the Holy Spirit is in the church is taken up, that is going, the restraining power of God now has been taken up. And now Satan has a, the authority, the full authority on the face of this earth to wreak havoc. The only people that he cannot wreak havoc with are the ones that are sealed on their forehead with the seal of God. That'd be the 144,000, and that would be the believers that come through the tribulation. Now remember this, okay, that through all of that turmoil and the earthquakes, the, the, the wars, everything else, is there's going to be a contingent of believers that are going to be alive at the end of all of it that are going to go into the tribulation, or excuse me, into the millennial kingdom. They're going to go into the millennial kingdom, and those are the people that God's going to use to repopulate the earth. Are you with me on that? Okay. So there's going to be some people that are going to live through the tribulation and they're going, the ones that make it clear through it are going to be born-again believers. And they're the ones that are going to go into the tribulation and they're the ones that are going to... They're going to go into the tribulation with their human bodies. Into the millennium. Thank you, Sue. There's a lot of stuff here. Man, I'll tell you, my mind gets... My mind really gets fried sometimes. Wow. Oh. 
Okay. Whew. That was hard. All right, now, here we go. So, here it says in Daniel chapter 7, starting in verse 23, he, that would be this angel, gave me this explanation. The fourth beast is the fourth kingdom that will appear on the earth. It will be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. The ten horns are ten kings who will come from this kingdom. After them, another king will arise, different from the earlier ones. He will subdue three kings. He will speak against the Most High and oppress his saints and try to set change the set times and the laws, the saints will be handed over to him for a time, times, and half a time. That's one year plus two years plus a half a year is three and a half years, okay? It says in verse 26, and I love this, it says, but the court will sit. So God has a court, and it's going to sit, and his power this Antichrist's power will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. Where does the Antichrist get his power? From the dragon, from Satan. So what happens to the Antichrist is also going to happen to Satan. Okay? It says here, verse 27, then... After that happens, the sovereignty, power, and greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be handed over to the saints, the people of the Most High. His kingdom, this is the millennial kingdom, will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will worship and obey him. This is the end of the matter. I, Daniel, was deeply troubled in my thoughts, and my face turned pale but I kept the matter to myself. Now, go back with me. You've got this now as um, you know. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna show you also uh, another couple of things about the Antichrist. Go to chapter eight, verse twenty-three in Daniel. Okay, Daniel eight twenty-three. This is speaking of the Antichrist. It says, in the latter part of their reign, okay, these four kingdoms, when rebels have become completely wicked, a stern-faced king, this is the Antichrist, a master of intrigue will arise. He will become very strong, but not by his own power. Whose power is he going to come strong by? Satan's, yeah. You see how this... This correlates with Revelation. It's just beautiful. It says, He will cause astounding devastation and will succeed in whatever he does. He will destroy the mighty men and the holy people. He will cause deceit to prosper and he will consider himself superior. When they feel secure, this would be, uh, I'm guessing, would be Israel. He will destroy many and take his stand against the prince of princes. 
yet he will not yet he will be destroyed but not by human power okay so when we go back to daniel chapter 7 real quick um let me see if this is where i'm where i want to see hold on just a minute might be in daniel 9 let me just find it no, it's in Daniel chapter 2. Okay, hold on. I'm, I'm, I'm working on it. Okay, Daniel chapter 2. Now, this is Nebuchadnezzar's, this is Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And remember, Nebuchadnezzar the king uh, wanted his astrologers, and all those people to interpret his dream. In fact, not only that, but he wanted them to tell him what the dream was, okay? Well, so look at this, Daniel chapter two, okay? Verse, uh, I'll start in verse 27. So his, his magicians and his astrologers, etc., have failed. And King Nebuchadnezzar is getting ready to kill them all. And Daniel comes on to the scene in 27, and he says, Daniel replied, and he's talking to the king now, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you lay on your bed are these. As you were lying there, verse 29, O king, your mind turned to things to come, and the revealer of mysteries, that would be God, showed you what is going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than other living men, but so that you, O king, may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. You looked, O king, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of this statue was made of pure gold. That's going to be the first kingdom. That's the kingdom of Babylon, he says. It's chest and arms of silver. Okay, so chest and arms, this is going to be the uh, kingdom of the Medes and Persians. Okay? It's legs uh, see, and thighs of bronze. That's going to be the Grecian kingdom of Alexander the Great. It's legs of iron. So when we read this, this is looking at these four kingdoms from man's point of view. It's great. It's dazzling. It's a statue. It's got gorgeous gold and silver and bronze and all the rest of the stuff. But in chapter 7, we looked at these exact same four kingdoms from God's point of view, and they're beasts. They're beastly kingdoms. We go on. It says, verse uh, 33... It's legs of iron, it's feet partially of iron and partially of baked clay. That is the 
kingdom of the empire of Rome and the uh, revived Roman Empire. You see, it could be argued that these empires, the Babylon, Babylonian, Persian, Grecian, and Roman Empire, have never really completely died out. Okay? Never really completely died out. Yes, they got conquered, but Rome wasn't conquered. Rome was, was corroded from within. Okay? It had the cancer of sin that corroded that empire. But even today, when we look around, you can look at many different countries. You can see Roman and Grecian architecture. Okay? So these kingdoms still have a presence in our world today, these Gentile kingdoms. And this is going to be really important when we really get to the Antichrist kingdom because that is a revived Roman Empire, if you will, okay? Now, so, we're going to get to this first page eventually, I'm telling you. But here's what I wanted you to see in verse 34. While you were watching, a rock was cut out not by human hands. Who is the rock? Christ is the rock, isn't he? That's right. The rock of salvation. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Now we're talking about the millennial kingdom that's coming in to replace these Gentile kingdoms. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold, he reversed the order here, were broken to pieces at the same time and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that, stuck, that struck the statue became a huge mountain. Mountain here is a synonym for kingdom. Became a huge kingdom and filled the whole earth. So blah, blah, blah. And, and so now he gives, the, he gives the interpretation here in verse 39. Or actually in verse 36. This was the dream, and now we will interpret it to the king. You, O king, are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he has placed mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. You are that head of gold. After you, another kingdom will rise inferior to yours. Why? Silver is inferior to gold, right? Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. That's the Grecian kingdom. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw that the feet and toes, how many are we talking about? How many toes? Ten. How many kings? Ten. How many horns? Ten. Okay, good, good. Okay, you guys, you, you guys are tracking right along here, okay? He says this. He says, just in verse 41, 
just as you saw that the feet and toes are partially of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom, yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. As the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it, it's, it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock, cut out of a mountain, not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true, and the interpretation is trustworthy. So, all right. So let's go back to Revelation chapter 13. Hi, Chihuahua. All right. Now let's look here. In fact, go with me to Revelation chapter 17. Okay? Go to Revelation 17. This ties in right with Revelation chapter 13. Let's just read it. Revelation 17, 1. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came to and said to me, Come, I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits on many waters. What is a prostitute? Well, a prostitute takes the place, if you will, of a wife, the duties of a wife. The wife of God is what? Nope. Israel. The wife of Jesus Christ or the bride of Jesus Christ is the church. Okay. So who would be the wife or bride of Satan? The prostitute. Okay, the prostitute. What's that? The prostitute is different from the Antichrist. So we'll, we'll read ahead and we'll, I'll show you, okay? Look at this. So it says, Come, I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits on many waters. What's the many waters stand for? Many peoples, many nations, okay? With her, okay, with her, this prostitute, with her the kings of the earth committed adultery, and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. Then the angel carried me away in the spirit into a desert. There I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, okay, that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. Is that familiar to you? Okay, so this is the beast. This prostitute or this woman is sitting on the beast. What does that mean? She's riding the beast, okay? So she is in 
um, this prostitute that we're going to find out what it is in just a minute, this prostitute is in cahoots, if you will, with the beast kingdom. So we know who the beast is. The beast is the Antichrist, and the beast is his kingdom. Who's the prostitute? Well, let's, let's keep going. It says here, the woman, verse 4, was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. She held a golden cup in her hand filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. Her title was written on her forehead, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. When I saw her, I was greatly astonished. Then the angel said to me, why are you, why are you astonished? I will explain to you the mystery of the woman and of the beast she rides, which has seven heads and ten hordes. So the woman here, okay, the woman here is going to be false, the false religion that comes from Babylonian um, religions. If you look back at the Tower of Babel, okay, and um, in the plain of, that was built in the plain of Shinar, which would be in modern day Iraq, that is basically, basically where false religion sprung up. Now, originally, false religion sprang up in the Garden of Eden. Okay? Did God really say, did he really say that? Now, you know that's really not true because if you eat of it, you're going to become like God, knowing good and evil. See, that's religion. And so now, in the plain of Shinar is where Satan really started getting these mystery religions, these, all, of the, all of the mystery religions you can think of today started somewhere in this plain of Shinar. With this, and this, this prostitute, she is the composite of all these religions. The Baha'is, the Mormons, who, who, who masquerade as Christians. And it's unfortunate because there's a lot of very nice Mormons. The Jehovah Witnesses, the Christian Science people, Zoroastrianists, the Buddhists, the Confucius people. Um, I mean, you can go on. There's a hundred different religions for a hundred different people, right? And this prostitute who is uh, masquerading as a religious system, it is a religious system, is going to be associated with the beast. So now, if just very, we're going to come back to Revelation 17, but go to Revelation 13 for just a minute. Okay? Revelation 13, and go to verse 11. All right? 13, 11. John writes, Then I saw another beast coming out of the earth. Where did the first one come out of? The sea, many, many peoples. The earth here may refer to the land of Israel. 
he had two horns like a lamb. So he looked like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. Who's the dragon? Satan. Okay. So he spoke like Satan, but he looked like a good guy. Yeah. He, this second beast, exercised all the authority of the first beast. That's the one that came out of the sea. On his behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast. So this second beast's job is, is to make people worship. Okay? He is the high priest of, of, of these mystery Babylonian religions. He is the false prophet, the Bible says. It says here, and made the earth and its inhabitants and worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. We'll deal with that later. And he performed, sorry, and he performed great and miraculous signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of men. So this second beast is doing miraculous things. Now remember something, okay? Remember something. The restrainer, which is the Holy Spirit, has been lifted, right? And that means that Satan's power now has more power to go out. He can actually exercise his power to a fuller degree. It says here, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of men. Because of the signs he was given power to do on behalf of the first beast, he deceived the inhabitants of the earth. He ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. He was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast. So he, he, he general contracts this image, okay, some type of an image. We don't know exactly what it is. Could be a hologram, could be an actual statue, something like that. I mean, we've, with what Hollywood has got going now, um, they literally have the, the technological means to have, we would think, to have someone come through that door, stand here, and talk to you, and they wouldn't even be real. You understand what I'm saying? Look at all these uh, games these kids are playing. Uh, if we would have seen those games 20 years ago, we would have thought that they were real people. We wouldn't have thought that they were cartoons. Okay, so... Verse 15, he was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that it could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. He also forced everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or his forehead so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. This calls for wisdom. 
If anyone has insight, let him calculate the number of the beast, for it is man's number. His number is 666. Now, this is interesting, uh, and I'll just give you a little, um, oh, I don't know, a little teaser, I guess. Uh, if we think about the Trinity, the number of the Trinity would be 777 because of perfection, right? That's God's number. There is a trinity, a satanic trinity, Satan representing God the Father. Okay, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but you understand what I'm saying. This false prophet representing Jesus Christ. Let me think about this. No, uh, the, the first beast who had the wound, okay, who had the wound that was healed, he represents in the satanic trinity Jesus Christ who was wounded and resurrected. And this false prophet represents the third part of the satanic trinity, which is, yeah, the Holy Spirit, right. So Satan's got his own 666. He's got his satanic trinity, okay? All right. Well, okay. We've got 10 minutes to figure this out. Where do we start? Well, I tell you what. The first part I want to start is I want to start in Revelation chapter five, verse six. So turn there because we might as well get this out of the way. So you'll notice around the top middle portion to the right hand side of what I handed out, it says Revelation five six Jesus. You see that? Okay, so let's see what it says in Revelation 5, 6. It says, then, then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne. Now, we know who this is, right? This is Jesus Christ. Encircled by the four living creatures and the elders, he had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Now, does Jesus Christ really have seven horns? No, not on I mean, so we know for a fact that these horns stand for something other than horns, right? So in this case, if you look at horns, look right down almost the middle of your page there. So we'll look at that particular scripture, which is uh, Revelation chapter 5, verse 6. Do you see where I'm at? I'm at uh, on the left-hand side, it's number 2768. That is the reference in Strong's Concordance. You can look that up for yourself. The word is keras. That's a Greek word. It means a horn, literally or figuratively. And that word is used in Revelation 5, 6. So this is obviously not used literally for Jesus Christ. It's used figuratively. And what would it stand for? Well, uh, if you look up at horns, this is the Old Testament, 7161, a horn is a, uh, a projecting horn, like an elephant uh, horn, an elephant tooth. 
Uh, it could be the corner of an altar that was used in one of the scriptures. It could be the peak of a mountain. Well, in this case, it, it depicts power. All right, power. There's power in an elephant's tusk. There's power at the top of a mountain. Um, so this horn, in, which it says in Revelation 5, 6, he had seven horns and seven highs. The seven horns means that Jesus Christ has perfect power and authority. What did it say in the Gospels? All power and authority have been given to me by my Father. Right? Okay, so this is a picture. This is, this is a, a picture that tells us that Jesus Christ, this lamb that was slain, has perfect power power and authority and he's got seven eyes well does jesus really have seven eyes no which are the seven spirits of god sent out into all the earth we studied about the seven spirits do you remember that does anybody remember where we found it i think it was uh, it was either psalms or isaiah Was it Isaiah, Bill? Psalm. No, it wasn't Psalm 23. Here, let's see if we can find it. I was thinking it was Isaiah, but. Is it in Isaiah? What is it? Isaiah 47? Okay, so if you want to turn to Isaiah 40. You're not sure? Wait a minute. I can't turn to Isaiah 47 if you're not sure. All right, let me see. Okay, it isn't Isaiah 47. All right. I thought it was Isaiah 11, but... Oh, it is Isaiah 11. Hey, you were right all the time, Sue. Wow. Okay, Isaiah 11. Let's take a look at this just real quick, okay? It says the branch from Jesse. So Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, okay, says this. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, that would be the roots of Jesse, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Who are we talking about? Jesus Christ, okay? So we're going to see, we're going to see Seven, we're going to see seven aspects of the Holy Spirit in this scripture. Number one, in verse two, the first thing is that the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. He will be wise in mind. Number two, the Spirit of wisdom. Number three, the Spirit of understanding, which is perception. Number four, the spirit of counsel or discretion. Number five, the spirit of power. Number six, the spirit of knowledge. And number seven, the spirit of the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. So when we think about the sevenfold ministry of the spirit, the Holy Spirit, it rests on you or fills you. It has wisdom, understanding, 
counsel, power, knowledge, and respect for God. And so when it says in Revelation chapter 5, verse 6, when it says here, he had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth, Jesus, Jesus Christ has the perfect and complete spirit of God resting on him. Are you with me? Okay. Now, wow. Okay. So when we look at this scripture, and I'm, I'm back on my page here, okay. When we look at Revelation 5, 6, Jesus has seven horns which equals complete power or complete authority, and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits, he's got the perfect and complete Holy Spirit. So now, let's see. Let's, let's just pick on Satan for just a minute. Go down here to the great red dragon, Revelation 12, 3, and I'll read that to you, and here's what it says. This is interesting because there's three great signs in the book of Revelation. The first one is the woman clothed with the sun. That's the nation of Israel in the tribulation. The second one is in verse 3. Then another sign appeared in heaven. An enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his head. Heads. He swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth. This is the nation of Israel. This is Mary, the mother of Jesus. Uh, the woman isn't, but she was a part of the nation of Israel. So that he might devour her child, this would be Jesus Christ, the moment it was born. How do we know it was Jesus she gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. So we know that that's Jesus. So if you look at the great red dragon, who we know is Satan, he has seven heads. So he has complete power over the earth because he's unrestrained. The Holy Spirit has been taken out of the way. He has ten horns, okay? And he's got the seven crowns on his seven heads. Now go back over to Revelation chapter 17 real quick. Oh man, I got a lot of stuff to say to you in five minutes. This will give you some things to think about until we get together again. Now look, we already studied, we already saw about the woman the woman who's riding the beast, okay? Verse 8, 17, 8 says this. The beast which you saw once was, now is not, and will come up out of the abyss and go to his destruction. The inhabitants of the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the creation of the world will be astonished when they see the beast, because he once was, now is not, and yet will come. This calls for a mind with wisdom. No kidding. 
All right, now he, you'll notice here we've seen many verses in Revelation and even in Daniel that explain themselves or have an explanation. It says, the seven heads are seven hills on which the woman sets this prostitute, this religious prostitute. They are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, the other has not come, but when he does come, he must remain for a little while. The beast, who once was and now is not, is an eighth king. He belongs to the seven and is going to his destruction. The ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but who for one hour will receive authority as kings along with the beast. They have one purpose and will give their power and authority to the beast. They will make war against the lamb, but the lamb will overcome them because he is the Lord of lords and king of kings. And with him will be called, will be his called chosen and faithful followers. So, we know more about the ten horns, don't we? We know that the ten horns are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom. Now that's weird, isn't it? Okay, that's just kind of weird. And I was thinking about this the other day. Do these necessarily have to be kings? I mean, they have not received a kingdom. So these are not presidents or kings of nations, are they? They have not received a kingdom yet. So who could they be? Well, and I'm just going to tease you with this. I'm not, this is me speaking now. This isn't necessarily gospel. But if you th we know they're powerful. We know that they have certain authority. And we know that they're going to give their power over to the beast. Why couldn't these ten kings who don't have a kingdom be the presidents of big corporations like Facebook? Multi-billion dollar corporations like Facebook, like, um, come on, somebody name a, a few. Google, Amazon, what's that? Oh, Soros, yeah, Soros is a multi-billionaire who has authority and he exercises his authority against the Lord for sure. So what I'm saying is, who? Pelosi. Pelosi. <laughs> You know, <laughs> I, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna comment on that one. <laughs> you don't want. She. she you don't want to hear it. It's fun. She said Pelosi. <laughs> so what I'm saying is this: is we still. I want you to take this, and if you can make sense out of it, you're doing pretty good. That's all I can say. You're doing really, really good. Look it up and see, see what you think because when we come back in two weeks, okay, we're going to come back and we're going to study this and we're going to dial in the horns, 
the crowns, the heads, who they are, who has them, why, what they're going to do, etc. We're going to do it as best as we can. And um, I, I will say this, that at least in my head, it's a lot clearer than it was a week ago. So um, that's not saying much because <laughs> I'm talking about my head. <laughs> um, but I think we can learn from this. I really do. So have you learned anything tonight? Okay, that's good. You know, it's, it's, prophecy is amazing. And what is amazing is that God can prophesy something that will mean something in this time frame and out of the same words will mean something in this time frame. It can be a dual prophecy, prophecy that applies to two different uh, times. Um, and, and that's what makes it interesting to try to decipher for us human beings. And fortunately, we do have the Holy Spirit, which has counsel and wisdom and understanding and all those things we read in, in uh, Isaiah chapter 11. And so that's how we're, that's the only way we're going to understand this is if the Holy Spirit gives us that understanding, okay? So, Father in heaven, thank you for this wonderful book, uh, for, for Daniel, and for the other prophets that we're going to end up uh, touching on, Father. And, Lord, we know that it's probably not possible for us to figure this whole thing out, but, Lord, hopefully we can at least make some sense out of it so that we can use this in our lives, in our witnessing to others, and uh, just in our general uh, application of your word to our, to our lives, Father. So we thank you for that. We pray that you'll bless this Sunday service, and we'll give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well... I don't think I got enough energy to get up, so... <laughs>